Welcome to CAA Conversations. My name is Steve Rossi. I'm an assistant professor and the sculpture program head at St. Joseph's University. In this conversation, I'm speaking with Susan Altman and Erica Marr discussing our shared experiences teaching studio art at the introductory level to non-art majors. Susan Altman is a professor and assistant chairperson in the Visual, Performing, and Media Arts Department at Middlesex College, where she teaches courses in drawing, painting, and printmaking to both majors and non-majors. In her creative practice, she focuses on drawing and printmaking. She lives and works in New York City. Erica Marr is an artist and educator based in the Hudson Valley of New York. She is an assistant professor of painting and drawing at SUNY Westchester Community College and is currently serving as the department chair for the Art, Design, and Performing Arts Department. Her studio practice explores drawing with an expanded sensibility and is invested in the act of mediation, reducing, and repeating to locate where the ephemeral and concrete intersect, become blurred, and create tension. Could you each share the material processes that you're teaching in your studio classes and then describe what you see as the spark or the magic that non-majors are often bringing to a studio art classroom that is different from what an art major would bring? Do you want to start, Susan? Sure. So I teach at a community college, so I really teach everything. Um, most of our art, our non-art majors wind up taking a course called Introduction to Art, which is a studio class that really gives them the opportunity to do some drawing, some painting, some sculpture, which really up to the professor. I also teach painting and drawing and printmaking, which we often get non-majors in as well. So I really teach the gamut of materials and processes in my classes. The spark or the magic that they bring is really that they don't know anything. They have no preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. So they come to they come to class and they're just willing, the ones who are very excited about, of course, we could talk separately about the ones that aren't, really bring this no preconceived notions. They're just there. They're taking mm -hmm. an art class where the majors often, you know, have an idea. This is my style. This is how mm -hmm. I work. Yeah. And, and the non-majors really don't have that. They just are there. Yeah. So I think um, that that is a magic that they bring. And I often find that when the art major comes in with a sense of, of themselves and an identity formed as an artist, it's almost an impediment for them. Like they're less yes. open sometimes. It's interesting. Yes, that, that is a good point. Sometimes they, they're they less open to things because they feel like I'm an art major. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Erica, do you want to share that, answer that from your, your perspective? Um, yeah, I was actually, uh, Susan, going to say something very similar about uh, drawing and how students that are art majors often have to go through the hurdle of unlearning <laughs> before they can really start to learn the new process. Um, I also teach at a community college. Um, I mostly teach drawing and painting, and the non-majors are taking level one. And so those are observational drawing and observational painting both with no prerequisite. Um, and then who the non-major is really varies. So you have students, a lot of them are taking it as a general education course. Um, so they've chosen it out of a number of different arts that they could have taken. But you also have then, uh, and in those students, you have students that have a lot of experience and you have students that um, have never been in an art classroom before. And then you also have students that already have degrees that are taking post-bac classes so they can pot maybe get into an art therapy or an art education program. So all these non-art majors bring really different things to the table. Um, and so I find the ones that have never been in an art classroom, they, are, they have some fear, but they also are filled with curiosity. And I find those can be the most exciting and rewarding students to teach because, uh, like Susan said, they're a blank slate. They don't uh, they say they don't know how to draw a straight line, but you can explain, you don't need to know how to draw a straight line, um, mm -hmm. and really get them to focus on being able to observe and see, um, where the students that are taking it because they've had some experience, they're in there because they love art and they don't need to take it. And so those students usually are really demonstrating to the rest of the class, already from day one, a growth mindset where they're there to improve. They're not there just to um, get a grade, that they actually are there to learn something. And, and so they're, they're kind of giving the gift of the love of learning in the classroom, which is really great. 
Yeah, no way to think about it. <laughs> the um, yeah, so a lot of the classes that I'm teaching are um, sculpture-based classes with no prerequisites as well. So whether it's an art major or a non-art major coming in, um, there's I, I so I'm teaching the class as if nobody's had any three-dimensional background with anything or or any material processes at all. And quite often that's 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 really the case because a lot of the high schools don't get into three-dimensional design. They don't they don't really get into say mechanical connections and, and joinery processes. Um, uh, so quite often like the sculpture curriculum where I'm teaching woodworking and wood joinery and digital fabrication and um, even working with like plexiglass and pop rivets and sheet metal and things like that, like quite often for the non-majors and the majors that they're totally new processes. Um, but what I find is that quite often, not always, but quite often it's the non-majors that end up getting really enthusiastic about the class and really sinking their teeth into the work. Um, whereas the majors that think of themselves as say like a photographer or as a painter um, might be a little hesitant and they're not really even sure like what's the value? Like why do I need to understand how a pop rivet gun is gonna work? Um, or why do I need to understand how to um, uh, do like, a, say, a lap joint in wood if I'm a photographer, right? Um, and or a painter. And certainly there's that another question that you can have about like building your own frames and building your own stretchers and, and things like that. Um, but I, that that sense of general openness, I, I find um, to really be there with the non-majors, especially a couple of weeks into the semester, um, as as you both have pointed out. The, they tend to come in with a little fear, but once they kind of settle into the class and get the feel for how things are running, um, it's they they tend to really be the ones, not always, but quite often, that will really set the bar high uh, in the class, which I always love to see that. Do you think, Steve, that the majors who come in don't understand, like you mentioned a photographer or a painter, don't understand the importance of three-dimensional space to their own practice, where the non-majors just said, oh, this is fun. I'm going to learn these new techniques. I'm going to learn how to make something. Mm -hmm. And where the other ones may not quite get yeah. that, that idea that education should be more broad-based. And even though you're not making three-dimensional work, this could inform your two-dimensional work. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's something that they quite often, um, if they've taken a couple of my classes, it tends to be a little bit later um, in their um, in their career sort of as students. And so they'll they'll kind of they'll be surprised to have those experiences of sort of thinking through um, how, you know, how do you think about three dimensional space um, and and it's it can be a challenge sometimes to sort of draw those connections of like you know how how is a three dimensional composition relevant for somebody that's working specifically in two dimensions? But I try to kind of also draw their attention to say the the um, design principles related to say like rhythm and repetition and compositional flow and all of those things that are totally relevant whether you're working in two dimensions or three dimensions. Um, and try to make a an ex, or create an experience in the classroom where they're really thinking about um, uh, thinking about those design principles in sort of an interdisciplinary kind of a way. It's interesting when thinking about kind of that and then applying it to non-majors, like thinking about how to create a thread from one class to another throughout a curriculum. So. Um, where I'm at, we, we're always cognitive thinking about how can we reiterate the same language, the same principles in different media um, throughout different classes, throughout a student's trajectory. And mm -hmm. then we also have non-majors and how do we serve them best? And mm -hmm. so it's kind of gets us thinking about not just how what we're doing is being reflected in the art students' education, but then also through general education in general uh, mm -hmm. for those art majors. And that's really interesting thinking about how you tie the idea or the practice of creating a, a composition, like compositional studies versus how you create a essay composition, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something yeah. that we can relate across the board or mm -hmm. how you do trial and error maybe um, in the scientific process, and then how do you do that in a studio practice? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, Erica, you make a really good point about that, because I think for it to be 
relevant to the student, to the non-art major, it somehow has to be relevant to what they're doing. So if they can understand the scientific process as similar to the creative process and how one goes through that, it really does make it more relevant to them, but also I think just more enjoyable and, and, and part of their career. And they understand how it fits into what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, for many of these students, they're taking an art class, whether it's gen ed, and we've lost the only gen ed class we have left in art is intro to art. Mm. None of our studios are gen ed anymore. Mm. Um, New Jersey did a whole revamp. And so, you know, our students take intro to art gets a lot of people because it is gen ed. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting too, like uh, Erica, as you mentioned, the say the focus on composition visually, but then also in a writing context, and uh, it made, makes me think of the connections between uh, it's it's a good art historical connection where um, having students think about visual analysis in an art historical context, but then also in like a studio critique context, and then in the two dimensional context and in a three dimensional context, and so there's a lot of interesting connections right there that can be drawn from from one area um, to another. Whether the students have ever taken an art history class, a lot of them have taken a lot of different writing type instructional classes. And so that's like just getting the vocabulary and the language in place and getting them familiar with that is such, it feels like such a big part of kind of what what we're doing, working with non-majors in a non-prerequisite class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the struggles are the same throughout <laughs> all the all the different disciplines on campus, right? So like if you mm-hmm. uh, look at essays or compositions or, you know, it's or these kind of visual analysis of art history, it's always that analysis part, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is really quite the struggle. And I think the whole purpose or maybe, I don't know, um, of college, right, to come out as an analytical creative thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah, think that they can relate to the writing part because they've all taken English, mm-hmm. right? So they may not, most of my students who are in a studio class, they have not taken art history unless they're a major, but everyone's taken writing mm-hmm. and everyone yeah. understands that connection. Yep, yep. Um, you know, so I think that that's, that's part of, I think the, the key to teaching non-majors is to connect it for them, mm-hmm. to make those connections across disciplines. So yeah. they have an understanding. Yep. And also to their lived experience, right? I think we, uh, I think most of us try to do that in the classroom and non-majors are, they really remind me to uh, think back to whatever it is I'm teaching, how it's observed around them, uh, whether it's in a piece of furniture or whether it's complementary colors in a logo design um, to grab someone's attention or how the the color on a white house shifts throughout the day mm. uh, you know how you know the spaces you see the sky between the leaves the negative space and like thinking about um how all of these things can inform their lived experience i always find that non-majors are like at the end the number one thing they say is that they'll never see color the same and that just like, you know, goes on, whether, you know, it's applied directly to what they're doing, it still is making them um, more cognizant of their surroundings. It slows yeah. them down, makes them observer, you know. Within yeah. well, that's yep. what we're teaching them. I mean, they learn observation skills in an art class yeah. and they learn how to see. And that's yeah. going to change for them. And I, I love the example of, you know, the leaves between the space between the, the leaves or just the color as they drive home. And I always use those examples in my classroom. Like when you're when you're when you're at the end of the day, how light changes and the it could be a yellow light or a white light. And they don't really notice those things. And I think an art class makes them more cognizant of what their surroundings are. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a sense we have have a chance to. um sort of teach people, uh, teach students about just being present, right? Being present in their own bodies, being present in the in the moments, uh, in the surroundings that they, um, in, that they inhabit. I was also thinking about the value of like presentation skills. And then as we were talking about writing too, I was thinking about the way that um, quite often when I'm working with non-majors and I'm organizing a studio critique, I will have very um, hesitant students initially in the semester 
where they're just, they don't think of themselves as artists. They're not thinking of themselves as being familiar with anything related to like discipline specific art vocabulary. And when I tried to do uh, studio critiques without first having them do kind of individual um, independent reflections where they're actually writing down a few sentences based on some prompts that I'm giving them. And I compare what the quality of those conversations um, can be if they've had a chance to collect their thoughts first and then versus just diving into like an open-ended critique. Um, I find that my non-major students really um, appreciate the being able to have the critique structured in such a way so that they've kind of collected their thoughts. And I'm not asking them to speak like off the cuff. I'm asking them to share what they've written based on the prompts um, that sort of circle back on whatever the learning outcomes happen to be for the project. Um, it's amazing to see like the thoughtful and insightful and articulate responses that I'll get once they've once they've had a chance to kind of like articulate their answers in advance. Whereas if I'm just sort of jumping into it, like, okay, um, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Quite often it'll be met with silence. But if they've kind of organized things in advance, they're re they're they're really willing to share uh, very res insightful responses. So it's been an interesting kind of strategy to put into place. But that pedagogical strategy is good for the art majors too. Yeah, because yeah. it gives everyone a chance to step back and to think before they speak. Yeah, Because yeah, first, sure. they, often their gut reaction about a work is mm -hmm. very emotional. I spent a lot of time on this, therefore it's good. We all know that, right? I spent six mm -hmm. hours last night, it has to be great. Yeah. But giving everybody, non-majors and majors, that chance to just step back, to reflect, to write, because they're comfortable. Well, they may not be great writers, but they're more comfortable with writing because mm -hmm. they've been doing that all through their school career. Mm -hmm. They may not have been in a studio class where suddenly they have to have critique. Mm -hmm. So that I think process, that's, I'm sorry, that's good for both. No, no, it's good, really good for all students. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, what you're doing there, Steve, right, is bringing them back to the objectives and give mm -hmm. like empowering the student to not only be able to think, but to recall the, the purpose of the assignment, what that vocabulary is. Mm -hmm. um, I often review those questions with the students as kind of like a vocab reminder to kind mm -hmm. of fill in the holes of any misunderstanding that's going on from the day before, the week before. Um, but it also, right, it's like when you're breaking out, say, right, it's just a still life drawing, right? A full value charcoal still life value drawing. Um, and you're breaking out into thinking about composition, thinking about um, value range, maybe thinking about planar value versus gradations, um, where every drawing can be talked about whether it's the most realistic drawing or not, right? You're pulling apart these different things where someone that may not feel like they have the strongest drawing can really see where it is they they nailed it, right? So mm -hmm. maybe they nailed that assignment, but it's still not the most perfect apple you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that actually, you know, I think that's so important for students to understand that like you nail the assignment, even though it may not have everything correct. Yep. And that's yep. okay. And I think students have to see that. Yeah. And and understand that it's okay. One of the, the best drawings, and this was a non-major, um, it was a figure drawing and it was totally, proportion was totally wrong, but it had the most energetic mark making and drips of ink. It was an ink drawing. And I still see it in my head today because Yes, was it correctly drawn? No, but it had such energy to it. And yeah. it really showed the hand of the artist. Yeah. And it, and I wanted that student to see that. Yeah. To see that it's okay. Yes, you didn't get the proportions right, but it's still a fabulous drawing. Right. And um, it's hard for students to see that, right? Because they compare themselves to each other. Yeah. Totally. Also, I, sorry, Steve. I always have that one student that, maybe in the end, they're still not going to get three-dimensional volume, but they have killer compositions, you mm -hmm. know, and they just blow everyone else out of the water when it comes to uh, kind of creating these figure gram relationships. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And on a sculptural context too. So the, the techniques are, are a little different, but they're sort of uh, specific in their own ways. So if I'm working with say three-dimensional composition 
and the focus would be on say like um, a lap joint and like a wood dowel connection, something like that. And there will be certain processes and certain tools that some students will connect with faster than others. And some of the students um, might have a might develop a good sense of composition, but not quite get a good um, connection that actually allows them to be able to hold the structure together. And so it's interesting to see as they sometimes students will put on like a very rickety um, structure on view that's very fragile. Um, and they're almost embarrassed to present it to their colleagues, but we can still talk about like how they're using, you know, design principles related to like changes of scale and positive space and negative space and compositional flow. So there's still a lot of different aspects that, that they are, have been successful with, even though they might not have like nailed the, the, um, the lap joint or the glue joint or whatever it was that they're, that they're working from. Um, one, one dynamic that I've noticed in working with a lot of uh, non-majors is, and I'm curious to see, see here how this plays out for, for both of you, this, the idea of like students with an identity as an artist versus just an, an art major that's coming in and they happen to be like knocking the ball out of the park and maybe doing some of the most impressive work in the classroom. But I find that I have to be very careful in terms of like how I'm drawing attention to their achievements. Um, unlike in say like an art and design um, college context where the students are all coming in and they're all sort of high performing, high achieving students and they really wanna almost compete for attention. I find the non-majors really don't want that attention um, uh, heaped on them so much. They actually wanna just do their work and just sort of have it happen on the down low. Um, and they're a little bit more comfortable if I just only very subtly draw attention to their work in the classroom context. Maybe I could talk to them more, more individually about kind of what they're doing that's really surprising and impressive. But I was curious if you guys find um, your um, non-major students to sort of shy away a little bit from that, like from getting too much attention in the classroom. Um, I think, I don't know if it's too much attention. I try and really stress that everybody, it's not what you're doing, it's how, it's, it's how you're improving. So I think that that's really important. So I always, you know, I, we're, this is a podcast, so I'm not moving my hands up and down, but I always say, you know, you come in at whatever level you're at and the goal is to get higher. So mm -hmm. The goal is to get better. And so I think that that's really for my non-majors who are, and I definitely see that intimidated by the, the student who's knocking it out of the park. But as long as they've improved and they're getting better and they're mm -hmm. seeing that, I, I think that that really helps. Um, because that's really my goal. I don't expect them all to be doing that, even though it's always wonderful, right? When you have a non-major come in and they take your course and they're, they like just knock it out of the park and then you, they go, you know, I'm thinking maybe I should be an art major. Yeah. Which yeah. is, right? Which or, is always or, so exciting. Yeah, or that they'll tell their friends and their teammates and their housemates about the class. And then the next semester, you've got two or three of the people's, of, of their friends from their social circle that's then taking your class because they heard it was it was an interesting experience. So I always feel like that's a good a good benefit too. Well, yeah, that's what we want them to do, right? Yeah. Just to feel like they they're successful. Sorry, Erica. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, on the first day, I feel that Steve, this kind of uh, not all, but some of the art majors coming in, they're dressed like an artist. They're excited to talk about the other art classes they've taken where the non-majors, not all, but tend to like be like, well, I'm just taking it, <laughs> you know, and they're they're quite more quiet usually in the mm -hmm. beginning. Um, but that melts away pretty quickly. And I think that's through the idea of, you know, studio classroom is such a community and it's so vulnerable, you know, like you are all, your guts are out there. You know, there's always the students that are like, do I really have to hang this up? And you're like, yes, you really have to hang that up. And so getting to a point quickly um, of a sense of community where the students not only trust their instructor, but they trust each other. I mean, mm -hmm. I think then doing that through small group activities, like constantly, I always did a lot, but actually the pandemic and doing Zoom classes really just for the sake of time made me like think more creatively of how I can use small groups even more and putting trust 
in the students, as long as they have guidelines on what to do with one another, that they come out and then share what they've come. And they really are building relationships. They're getting used to each other if they're being thrown together in small groups where they have to participate. They have chances to teach. They have chance to learn from each other. Um, where I really think, you know, a few weeks in, I tend to, I start to forget who's a major. Like I always have the roster that says it. So I can like remember every, you know, maybe a third of the way in to like check on all the art majors specifically Mm -hmm. and how they're moving throughout the program. But, and maybe there's a a couple, you know, we have large classes, 22 students, maybe there's a, uh, one or two non-majors that, um, are really struggling. That's, you know, it's not their strongest subject and they're climbing. So you're really with them the entire class, but overall, I feel like they, they, it all, they, they kind of all merge. They start to all be really similar, um, Mm -hmm. a few weeks in. Mm -hmm. You you bring up a really good point about community for the non-majors, because I think in an art class, they really feel that much more than math, right? You're Mm -hmm. in math and everyone's doing their thing. But in art, you're really, you do build community and it's so important. And I know for me teaching in a community college and probably for you, Erica, you know, it's hard for them. They have jobs, right? They have jobs, they they commute, you know, how do you build community? And that's what really, that's why I love what I do is because of that sense of community. Mm -hmm. And I think that you make a really good point about them all becoming one. That after a while, you're not an art major or a non-art major, you're just all artists working in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, do you each want to talk about how you how you try to make a, a studio class beneficial and relevant to students who may not be planning to enter the visual arts field? Um, sure. <laughs> um, well, I think we talked a lot about how it reflects just in terms of the, your lived experience and how you could tie it to um, what students are doing in their own disciplines. Um, but Making it relevant, I really think about um, kind of what skills can be transferred to a job, right? Like at the end of the day, um, you know, whatever their academic um, trajectory is, hopefully at the end, it it results in some kind of job and thinking about um, the soft skills, but the higher order thinking skills also. So something as simple as time management, how do you teach students to manage their time in a larger project? by breaking it up into different stages um, to, to show that you don't just have an idea and execute that, but there's brainstorming, there's trial and error, there's failure, there's um, reflection, there's getting feedback all within that process. And um, not only uh, having them do that process, but really reflect on, on that process and where there were successes and where they need improvement. Mm-hmm. Um and also, um, you know, thinking definitely about analytical thinking. That's the thing I've been most obsessed with after doing um, a general education assessment for all subjects at the college, just reading one essay or project after another and just being like, wow, like analytical thinking is just not here across the board. Um, so really, um, having students use the process of visual analysis, right? Describing, analyzing, and then coming up with um, some kind of meaning or judgment of success based on what those objectives are. And I think that's probably the the, the thing I, I stress the most um, within each of my classes right now. And I think it's the hardest thing to teach, right? But you can teach analytical thinking, right? That's um, like I said before, I, I'm starting to really think that's the whole purpose of college. Um, but also just demystifying the uh, creative process and taking students through that idea of brainstorming, experimentation, and um, it's not magic, that it takes a lot of work. <laughs> and it's not as idealistic as um, I think people that are outside of art think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think the creative process is really important in that understanding. I think the idea of ideation, coming up with the idea, trying different ideas, failing forward, which I think students are afraid to do. And I'm not saying give them an F, I'm saying, you know, it doesn't work. Okay, how can I revise that? And I think that those skills of ideation, 
of mm -hmm. trying different things, of experimenting, of revising your experimenting, and then bringing it to its resolution mm -hmm. are skills that students can apply to anything they yep. do. Yep. You know, that, that process that happens in art happens if you have a project at work or um, I always give the example of the worst job I ever had, which I worked in a warehouse and I had to like fit everything in. And, you know, I had to try different things. And they were always like, you did that job? I said, yeah, but I made it tolerable because I used my art process mm. to make it work. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's really important for them to understand that what we're doing is not just an isolated process, but it can mm -hmm. apply to whatever they're doing. Right. Because again, for art majors, they're, we're not expecting them to be artists. I always have the hope, maybe it's a little romanticized, that they'll they'll still be making art 20 years from now because they took my drawing class. Yeah. You know, just yeah. on the weekends for fun. Yep. But, you know, I want them to understand that process yeah. and how they can apply it to whatever they do. Yeah, no, I think that's those are really interesting points. And, and I think a lot about uh, that idea of like art appreciation, that even if they're not going into the visual arts field, if they can walk into a museum and feel kind of empowered to understand like how to get the information that they need to interpret the work and to understand the work and that they can kind of feel confident about asking questions and, to, and actually understanding that like, especially when you're talking about contemporary art, that artists are raising questions and, um, and it's totally normal to be in front of the work and not necessarily know like what the intention is, right? And, and then that's actually like, what the intention of the work is that, is that the artist is, is asking questions and wants the viewer to also ask those questions. Mm -hmm. um, and that there's but, not an answer to every question. Right, right. Um, and at St. Joseph's, there's a, um, a very large uh, business school. And so I often think that maybe a lot of my business majors later on down the road, when they're in their sort of Fortune 500 company, maybe they'll be thinking back on on their studio art class and and, and showing support for, for uh, funding of the of the arts too. I always feel like that's a possibility that could be uh, developing down the road as well. Right. Uh, and, and be, and buying art. Yeah. Yeah. Supporting culture, right. Supporting. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point because again, we don't know what they're going to be doing in the future. So right. supporting culture and, and taking, and, and it goes beyond the student because hopefully they're significant others, their family members, they'll say you know come with me to a museum i didn't know i could do this or go to a gallery yeah i didn't know this existed yep so you're not just educating that one student hopefully they're bringing that forward right the they're talking to they know. their family right. yeah their exactly. friends their families their roommates their housemates whoever right and supporting the idea that like culture has value that it has intrinsic value um, and that that value actually isn't measured in dollar signs as we quite often like as if, if you think about the media reporting on visual art in this country, quite often it's about the high auction sales that, you know, this work or that work is getting um, this sort of think about the process as something that's inherently like the creative process is, is inherently valuable in and of itself. Um, and that it can apply to a lot of different working environments, uh, life experiences. Um, I always feel like that's a really important connection to draw um, in terms of like the buy-in that you get from the non-majors, um, but also just on a realistic level, like those genuinely are like the 21st century skills that that were uh, the, that are being taught in a visual arts classroom. Do um, do in terms of working with um, non-majors and majors we when we were preparing for this conversation um the topic of uh, rubrics and assessment came up um do we want to talk a little bit about kind of like the the way that we can sort of support um the learning of non-majors through like a well-crafted um rubric and sort of uh, clearly indicated learning outcomes um yeah i'll take that steve uh, <laughs> i I've learned a lot about rubrics at Westchester Community College through the Center of Teaching and Learning. And I think I was really skeptical for a while, but it's really transformed my teaching, um, both in terms of it saves a ton of time when grading, um, but also it provides all students with an understanding of what the goal of whatever it is that they're doing, 
um, what they should be focusing on, right? If you're like making a painting and there's a lot going on there, there's materiality, there's just like pushing around paint, there's color, there's composition. And to be focusing on all of that stuff. And then if it's a higher level class and there's ideas involved, I mean, there's a lot going on. So for students to understand and see a breakdown um, of what it is they're going to be evaluated on, that gives them a set of goals, right? And something to, throughout the process, really assess their own work. Um, and um, I think and also then, clear oh, expectations, Erica. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, so this way, there's no, there's no question and critique, you know, or or just in general, the expectations are clear. And I think you make a really good point. I'm glad that, that Westchester has a center for the enrichment of learning and teaching since it's a place near and dear to my heart because I'm the director of ours. Oh, I didn't know that, Susan. <laughs> so, you know, it is. And, and when I first became director, it was like, people would say to me, well, how does this apply to art? And it does apply to art. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this idea that all of those strategies don't necessarily apply because we have a long tradition of how we taught and how mm -hmm. we teach. But it's so nice to hear you so strongly advocating for rubrics yeah. because well, it really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Other, like, I'm sorry, Susan, go ahead. No, no, go on. No, it's going to like what you said, like not just students, but other instructors in other fields will say, but how great art. And I'm like, well, how do you grade an essay? It's exactly, it's exactly the same. We have goals and there are levels of achievement for each goal um, where it really takes out um, that, you know, subjectivity and, um, or objectivity um, and really um, just places focus on, on how well something was, you know, like, is there a full value range, you know, kind of? Mm -hmm. definitely over the top right yeah. <laughs> um you're, you're bringing up a really good point is that students often think we just make up these grades because we like them or dislike mm -hmm. them or you know there's orange in the painting therefore if we like orange we're going to give it a good grade and they don't understand that that there are standards and you know did you achieve what you set out to do have you dealt with composition in an effective way in this How's your color? Do you have a range of value to create form? I mean, mm -hmm. there are so many things and, and students don't always understand that. And I think non-majors especially don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. I do a yeah. class, I do a project in my intro to 3D art class where um, we're, we're working with line and then we're transitioning into plane. And um, students are working with these sheets of cardboard and they're working with slotted mechanical connections and developing these kind of non-objective non abstract sculptures um, that they're working on for a couple of weeks at a, at a time. And then when we have the final critique, they're always surprised to see when they when they put the, that work on view. And then I, I list out you know, the five different design principles, at least, that we were thinking about. And then the two or three different construction processes that we went through it's almost as if even after they've been through the process, they're they're almost surprised to be reminded of like, oh yeah, this humble piece of cardboard that we basically rescued from the recycling bin. We can now talk about how it's been transformed like through our own artistic labor. And now we're how we're also incorporating the sense of composition and a sense of visual flow, a sense of rhythm and repetition, um, uh, utilizing ideas of positive space, negative space, changes of scale. And they're kind of like, right, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here with this very humble material. Um, and so I, I sort of love that sense of discovery that they have, but it almost happens like it almost hits them by surprise after the fact. They almost have to go through the process first, um, because if you had explained to them from the outset what we were going to be doing, they would kind of be almost dismissive of it. But once they've sort of had a chance to investigate a lot of time and effort and then sort of circle it back to like what those clear objectives were. Um, that's when you really see like real buy-in and real a real sense of like they've internalized those concepts, you know, and that they'll, they'll be able to identify them in in different areas outside of a studio or a classroom as well. That's yeah. really empowering, though, for non-majors. Yeah, yeah. That they like they had this thing, they didn't know what they were doing, they tried different things, and then they they made it. Yep. yep. And they never thought they could do that. You know, yeah. art majors have an understanding like, yeah, I'm going to do this project. And I, I can make this. 
But yeah. for a non-major to go through that process, especially something as technical as sculpture, because it sounds like you're giving them a lot of technical information, which is a life skill as well. Knowing right. how to use power tools empowers yeah. them in their lives as well. Yeah, it's true. And that's a very practical skill. And I'll joke with the students from time to time and I'll say, well, if nothing else, everybody's going to know how to hang shelves. You know, you, you can, <laughs> you can hang, hang shelves in your closet now after you take this class. Um, I think for women students, that's very empowering. Yeah, no, I agree. And to be able to present um, working with power tools in like a safe and controlled environment where everybody that really is a, like when you learn a skill like that, especially with a saw that's very loud and potentially very dangerous. Uh, when they learn how to use it safely and accurately, it, it really is a very empowering and kind of transforming experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and, and I, I don't mean it in a sexist way, but for many of my, my women students, they, they were never taught, you know, their father didn't say, come, come, let me show you how to hang shelves. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I always say to them, you can do this yourself now. Mm -hmm. And it is empowering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think another thing in terms of um, making a studio art class relevant for or helping to make it relevant for non-majors is to sort of provide opportunities for them to kind of look at their own environment as a point of inspiration. Like art's not over here. Art's not over there. It's not in that museum. It's not in this textbook. It's actually like, you know, our points of inspiration are, are in our immediate environment and they're they're kind of right here, right in front of us. Um, one example of that is, is I, I do a project where I have students uh, build a sculpture that incorporates a cantilevered form. And then before they build a mock-up and, and some do some thumbnail sketching for that project, I have them just do some photographing of their immediate environment, like their commute to school, their apartment, their neighborhood, the environment around campus, and just find examples of cantilevered forms wherever it exists. And so some of them will come in with photographs of like impressive cantilever forms on modern architecture and others will come up with these really what I think are genius solutions where they'll just take a stack of books on their counter and just create their own cantilevered form or like a stack of coins even and the, the and that that type of transformation where they're starting to see their own environment in in very simple terms where they're kind of manipulating space and materials in their own environment um, I always that really good a good connection for them to start to, to develop as well. Do you both want to talk a little bit about how you approach a field trip with a, a, a class of, of non-majors who might not be familiar with kind of getting to a museum or not, not might not feel comfortable approaching the city um, with well, public pre-COVID, pre we we used to go to Chelsea and we let them loose and they thought it was incredible. They're a little scared, even though they're in New Jersey, um, mostly because they're they just were not familiar. Um, we have not had a trip since COVID, but I'd like to go back to it because it is so empowering to them. And they go, then they go back with their friends. They go, I didn't know I could go spend, you know, a Saturday walking around going into galleries. Um, our art history students go to the Met, um, which is a little easier to manage because we drop them off on a bus and we pick them up. Yeah. But I think just in general, that's part of a studio or art history experience for both majors and non-majors, that yeah. is really important. And I hope that we're going back to it. Um, it get, gets more complicated, the whole bus and who's taking them and how they're getting there. But I yeah. think it's so important for students. Definitely. Yeah, it's really hard for commuter schools outside of the city. I've had such a different experience from before um, I taught at Westchester and I was teaching in the city. And Field trips were relatively easy. You didn't have to organize transportation. You could count on students having a metro card. Um, and and there's a, a certain maturity that comes to, you know, a college where students are in an urban environment. You know, students mm -hmm. from a young age are used to getting around and feel mm -hmm. confident for the most part. Where, you know, teaching outside the city, Westchester's, you know, only, you know, a little over you know, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, an hour um, from the city, it actually feels like a lifetime away because the students come from vastly different backgrounds, have um, vastly different financial um, stability. Um, and so you really do have to, like Susan said, provide 
everything and make it work for the student. We used to have a trip week where there were three trips in one week and I would call and get quotes for buses and, you know, it was this huge thing. And over time it dwindled like attendance because it wasn't mandatory. It was open to all students in art classes, art history, studio. Um, and so like the, the effort and the uh, argument to the administration to keep the funds, like it, it became harder to justify. Mm -hmm. um, and then I used to be advisor for the art club and now um, another uh, colleague has taken over that. Um, but that's where we house our field trips um, because there's funding there, it's easier. Um, or the students carpool, but it's voluntary um, and then classes can tie to it, reach out to the art club if there's interest there. So a lot of us are making, you know, use of more local resources. And also we have a really great gallery um, right below the, the floor below us that we try to tie our um, programming to what's going on in the classroom. So we can have a resource that's free and accessible um, to all of our students. But I agree, I, I feel really conflicted. I mean, it's really challenging now, especially post pandemic with huge mental health crisis that is undeniable. Um, and that's just one of the many issues. And then the finances are still there and um, the maturity level or, or different students needing their parents to come with them. It's, it's, it can be really challenging um, outside of the city, but at a community college and at a commuter school. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the costs of uh, transportation are really pretty significant. One of the things that I started doing working in Philadelphia is um, I would, because I didn't want to give up a, a whole work day um, for the studio, the, the field trip, I, I would start to um, assign students to go to a museum and I would send, I would sort of give them an overview of kind of what what the work would be and I would give them a uh, an assignment to do like an artist research presentation based on something that they had seen at a museum or a gallery but I found that they actually really enjoyed um, the experience of kind of being asked to navigate the city a little bit because Philadelphia is being a, a little a, quite a bit smaller than New York so the the distance between campus and say the Philadelphia Museum of Art would be maybe only 15-20 minute drive and so they would kind of without being um uh, without having been given an assignment to go to the museum, quite often they would spend their the four four years that they were studying at St. Joseph's without actually ever quite getting around to it. They always knew that it was a great museum. They always knew that it was a good place to go, but never would quite happen. But so they would they would get they would come back and just sort of report back on their experiences in such a spontaneous way, where you could tell that they invited their friends and they would kind of make it a social outing. And um, and I, I like the fact that like the the classroom assignment, the homework assignment essentially gave them almost permission to sort of explore the city in a way that would have been outside of their normal trajectory and how they navigate the city. Um, and so it felt that, that sense of like demystifying kind of that that cultural experience of, of you know, seeking out and attending the museum, coming back and then talking about what that experience was and having that conversation in that sort of shared context really helped it to become like a very rich experience all around for everybody. So yeah, well, definitely. That's one. Oh, yeah. go on. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, it's, it's something that I really try to get in every every semester with every class is to try to really get them out seeing some stuff outside the classroom. And that's why I'm, I'm so torn now. Um, it's really an equity issue for us. It's expensive to take New Jersey Transit in. So we always provided a free bus and um, it's so it's such an important part of their education for majors and non-majors and to have that cultural experience. And I, I want to bring it back because it is to me such an important thing, but just logistics of it have been been tough lately. Yeah. But I think that's another um, element of a non-major taking an art class to have that opportunity for mm -hmm. our art majors. Most of them, by the time they graduated in two years, if they were lucky, or two and a half years, they went to Chelsea five times. Nice. Which, when they transferred, they always reported back, like, not everyone at this, you know, four-year school that I went to has been to galleries as many times as I have. Yeah, yeah. And I and it was such an enriching experience for them. Yep. So, um, 
that's something that I think for both majors and non-majors is so important, but we've yeah. got to strategize now how to bring that back. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting too, like I, it, early on when I started sending students to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, I would send them to the outdoor sculpture garden um, and with like specific works in mind, like the um, uh, Klaus Oldenburg piece, the Ursula von Reidensburg piece. And I'd have them kind of like report back on that. And then I started to kind of like expand and branch out a little bit. And I would just send them to the contemporary wing. And I would say, say, especially in the context of like a mixed media class. And I'd say, just select a work example in like any of the contemporary galleries and just tell us about it. You know, what's, what are the artist's intentions? When was the artist working? What are their materials? What are their concepts? You know, and when the students were able to kind of pick their own work, it was really interesting to see the level of connection that they had when they were kind of really assessing what what was it that they were drawn to you know and they really have to choose if they had you know three works that stood out they really had to choose one and and decide what that that piece was and um sometimes students in the same class would would gravitate towards the same work but it was always it's always fascinating to see that they would never talk about it from quite the same angle and their research would always take them into a different direction so you could kind of get this really nice context and by just the organic um, responses and, and research that the students were sort of initiating on their own. So it's just sort of another valuable um, uh, experience I was coming across there. Steve, you've inspired me. And to get away around the equity, I'm going to use um, our WCC gallery, the main exhibition, for the <laughs> and do the same prompt that you are talking about for every single one of my classes, whether it, it's the same media or not, because um, I agree, it's such an invaluable experience to um, visit this quiet space, go mm-hmm. in there feeling unknown, and then have to seek out enjoyment or curiosity. Yeah. Or curiosity, something. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's it's such a great gallery that you have there too, and and the the exhibitions that you put on are are always really high quality. So there's a lot of a lot of possible um, interesting content, and quite often I'll try to encourage students to even choose work that they don't like, like work that they actively dislike. You know, like what do you find problematic? You know, what's what's an issue here? What are questions you'd like to ask the artist? Because that can create some really interesting dynamics too. Yeah, I always tell. Bring in a photo. Sorry, Susan. No, I was just going to say, I always tell students, you don't have to like everything you see, you have to understand it. And I think mm-hmm. asking them to talk about something they don't like yeah. helps them to understand that. Yep. And also gives them permission to realize like, it's not, a, it's, you don't really have to like the work, right? Like the work can be problematic. And, and if so, what's problematic about it? You know, that's an almost as more of an interesting conversation than like the, the conversation about the work that you really um, were enamored with sometimes. All right. Well, I want to I want to thank you both for your uh, contributions to this conversation. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, this thank you really, so much. 